0: KYW Original Podcasts. This is the Flashpoint Podcast. I'm Flashpoint host, Cherry Gregg. We are walking you through the flames. This week, we look at when a car crash becomes a crime. It
2: can happen to anybody at any time, anywhere, really. It is mind-boggling that people will live with that for the rest
3: of their lives
0: the startling statistics behind hit and runs
3: there's no reason for a person to be fearful of the criminal charges what you can
0: do if you're a driver witness or a victim then our newsmaker of the week posts graphic videos of people who are using or are high on drugs those
4: people who look at it that aren't from kensington it is a total shocker the
0: man behind kensington beach reacts to the backlash and explains how he's using Instagram to fight addiction. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Flashpoint, I'm Cherry Gregg. The focus is Philadelphia's hit and runs. A recent report revealed that the city gets roughly 40 calls a day, reporting some form of damage or injury from hit and runs. And last year, there were 14 fatalities in the city. Recently, a 69-year-old woman died after being hit by a driver on Roosevelt Boulevard with so much force, she was knocked out of her shoes and her body was launched over a four-foot high fence. why do people run and how do we stop them? With me in the studio to discuss this Flashpoint is Mark Overwise. He is the commanding officer with the Philadelphia Police Accident Investigation District. We also have Brian Hickey. He is a reporter for Philadelphia Voice, who is also a hit-and-run victim. And finally, we have Sarah Clark Stewart. She is executive director of the Bicycle Coalition of Greater Philadelphia. Everybody, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you. So, Mark, when does an accident become a, quote, hit-and-run Such that it is a crime.
3: Well, it's a crime to leave the scene of an accident involving injury or death. So when the person is injured or deceased and the person does not stay to notify police or render any type of aid by calling 911, then it becomes a crime. How
0: often does this type of thing happen in Philadelphia? Unfortunately,
3: it happens too much. You could say that one incident is too much, but it happens with regularity. It seems like uh, it's more and more of a problem.
0: I've seen reports that said that in a two-year period there had been 29,000 calls of a hit and run incident forty or so calls a day.
3: Does that sound That sounds accurate because you're you're thinking also about in a parking lot when somebody comes out and they find that their car has been hit and there's no one around and there's no note left or anything like that and they call to report that, you know, with some more serious crashes that occur. You know, we get calls for that as well.
0: And so, Sarah, your organization advocates for safer roads, but you also track local hit-and-runs. Is there a hit-and-run culture in Philly? Do people just kind of knock stuff off and keep it moving?
2: It's hard to say whether or not it's different in Philly than in other cities. I'm going to guess probably not. I think it's it's pretty rampant around the country. But we do, ha- since 2016, we've been tracking uh, through the media and then, and then cross-checking it with, Captain Overwise's staff, the number of fatalities that have occurred because of traffic crashes. We have been tracking also the hit and runs. So, so those are folks who have been killed in a crash, and then the, the, the perpetrator left the scene, whether they were a pedestrian or they were another motorist. It has ranged from 11 to 16 a year, and that's approximately 10 percent of the number of people who are killed a year in Philadelphia. That percentage, I can't say if it's different than in other cities, but that's pretty consistent for the past four, three or four years. At 10% of the fatalities are cases where the perpetrator just left and the traumatic damage it causes to families and to the communities around those victims. And Brian, you were a victim
0: of a hit-and-run, someone hit you and just left you there. Tell us about your story.
1: I went home to the town I grew up in for a Thanksgiving weekend uh, back in 2008, and I was walking back to the speed line to come home to Philly, and next thing I know, I wake up a month later. Driver never caught. I was only found because the house in front of which I was hit, the, ball, the dog was like barking out of the window, so the guy walked out and found me in the street. I was still conscious then, but they took me to Cooper and Camden. I was there for about a month, most of which in a coma, a medically induced coma. They brought me over to McGee in Center City, where I was for another three or four weeks, and here I am today. Um, never caught, no real... Clues. The only thing that the guy who found me saw was the rear lights of what he thought was a sports car from about 30 yards away.
0: Well, thank God you're still here. And thank God for that dog. Yeah, right. That barked. Um, Oh, yeah. I brought a
1: whole big bag of treats over once I was able to drive again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how often do you hear this? There's so many unsolved hit and runs, whether the hit and run is fatal or like Brian, they survive. How, How commonplace is it being unsolved in this way?
3: The, many of them are difficult to solve. We do solve a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks in some part to the clues that are left behind. Sometimes we get videos. Sometimes we have good eyewitnesses. Uh, very rarely does the person who is struck, or are they able to give a, a good enough description because they're so severely injured. Speaking of pedestrians specifically, and um, or people on bikes for that matter, we have Too many unsolved cases, and I do think it's a culture problem.
0: Why do people do something? Why would you do
3: something like that? Whenever someone's involved in a crash, whether it's with another vehicle, a fixed object, or a a person, uh, I, I think that the first human reaction is panic. Oh, no. What just happened? What do I do? And I think many people, their instinct tells them to flee. Some people do that, regroup and call us. Some people just go and I think that the the probability of getting away with it weighs in their mind and that's probably what they do I honestly don't know how people who do that you know look at themselves in the mirror and sleep at night
0: because if you stop and someone's injured there's a chance you could actually save their life
2: I think there's a bunch of also things that may run through people's minds they may be uninsured they may be um, there's a bench warrant out for them um, they may be in some kind of trouble anyway. They may have contraband in the car, so there's other kinds of things that DUI, be, texting while well, drive, yeah, all kinds of things. So the fear of the consequence contribute to that panic. It is mind boggling that people will live with that for the rest of their lives. It is a big problem when that is you know that over the the sort of fear of consequence overrides being moral.
0: Brian, when you think about the fact that, I mean, you could have died there yeah, yeah. that day, and then what was your reaction once, I mean, you had to heal first <laughs> yeah. before
1: you could even process it? Half of my body was paralyzed, so like I couldn't even get out of bed for a little bit after I woke up and all that, but then once, I guess I sort of started getting my mind back, so to speak, the first thing I started doing when I got out of the hospital was keeping a list of hit and runs. Well, not the first thing, after a couple months, so it wasn't so much a okay, you lived, let's help other people at first. It was more of a learn how to write again through what happened to you. So I started keeping a list of all the hit and runs around the country on my blog um, that I keep. Over the course of the past 10 years, I think I have like 13,000 from across the country. Wow. Just initially unsolved. That's just pedestrian and bicycle. There was a lot of rage at first because they left me for dead in the street, and I I can't understand why somebody would do that. There's a lot of things, as they both said. I I think one that went unsaid was people may be drunk or on drugs, and if you wait a couple days to turn yourself in, that's going to be out of your system, so you'll get a lesser penalty.
0: But those couple of days could mean the difference between life or death. Yeah, I
1: mean, if if I'd have been out there five more, if I'd have been out in the street like maybe five or ten minutes more, I'm probably dead.
0: Mark, how do you investigate something like this?
3: Well, it begins by processing the scene and trying to locate witnesses. And by processing the scene, I mean we've got to gather every bit of evidence that we can, physical evidence, video evidence. And then, again, looking for witnesses, trying to track down the 911 calls to see if uh, anybody who called saw something, and so we get those people interviewed. And there's a lot of legwork involved in that. It takes some time. Sometimes we get very lucky with video surveillance. Sometimes we get video surveillance, but it's not a good quality. So... um all those things improve our chances. And one thing I would say is uh, for anybody who does this, don't even give it a second thought. Call it, no matter how minor you think that information may be because there's a difference between uh, a vague description of a vehicle and a better description of a vehicle.
0: Is that, is that considered like homicide by vehicle if you hit somebody and they die at the scene? And-
3: right, and let me explain a little bit about that. For those folks who either have hit somebody or may hit somebody, and think about that. If you strike a person, you knock them down, and they die as a result, yes, you're going to be charged with a crime for leaving the scene. Uh, however, you know, if the crash itself does not involve any other criminal element like Brian spoke about with uh, DUI or excessive speed or anything like that, you're going to be charged with leaving the scene of a crash that involved injury or death. You're not going to be charged with homicide by vehicle. People, I think, are very feel for, fearful of that. As investigators, we look at everything. There's no automatic assumption that you committed a crime when you struck somebody. We have to investigate it, and we have to be able to prove that you committed a crime. The mere fact that you hit a pedestrian and the dotted result in itself is not a crime unless there's another criminal element that goes with it.
0: Accidents happen every single day. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a, cr- it's a crime or a criminal activity, but once you leave the scene, that's when you, right. you raise the stakes sure. um, and, and of the situation. Different
3: behaviors contribute to when a crash occurs, but that the behaviors in themselves don't make it criminal in the sense mm-hmm. that the crime caused this crash to happen. Yeah. So, uh, just to be more specific, somebody who's DUI while they're driving and hits somebody and kills them, yes, they committed a crime. That contributed to the crash. Yeah. But if you're driving Roosevelt Boulevard, for example, where a lot of these happen, and you're maintaining the speed limit, and a pedestrian darts out in front of you, and not at a crosswalk, and it's dark out, there, the crash happens. There's no criminal element to that. There's no reason for a person to be fearful of the criminal charges in that case.
0: You know, there are areas where these these types of accidents are more likely, Sarah. We keep hearing that
2: come out is one of the most dangerous stretches of land. We don't call these accidents at all. They're not accidents. Mm -hmm. They're mostly almost 99.9% preventable. They're crashes or collisions and usually happen because motorists make mistakes or the design of the street or roadway is poor and it's designed in such a way to either encourage speeding or discourage walking Safely across the road, if you have a road that's very wide without enough time on the pedestrian timer, things like that. So what we try to emphasize publicly is that these crashes are preventable and there, and there needs to be things done to make it so that if a mistake does happen— mm-hmm. Because humans are humans, they make mistakes. It's not fatal or it doesn't cause severe injuries. To your question about what can be done, there's a lot that can be done. And frankly, there's a lot that can be done to help the police department investigate these kinds of crashes more thoroughly. The auto collision repair uh, storefronts, they could do a lot Mm. to report. What we find is that there's just not enough resources put into the investigation of these kinds of of, of, of crashes at all. Um, it's not prioritized. Um, uh, the um, Captain Overwise's uh, district does not doesn't have enough staff. He needs more help in order to investigate um, these these kinds of crashes. And,
0: and Brian, you now have tracked these across the country, unsolved uh, hit and run cases. And, I mean, Sarah's mentioned some of this. Did you find similarities
1: all over the country? There are spots of the country where I, I have seen more happen. Um, going back to a question previously, like for some reason there's a lot in Indianapolis and Denver and in Florida. I think they build on each other. I found that once you have a couple happen in one area – you may see an uptick in the aftermath of it. There's nothing scientific. It's all anecdotal from me paying attention to it through Google alerts and all that. When they when people get caught, it I, I do see it's a lot of fear. Like there, there's the "I thought I hit a deer" excuse. There's the waiting to lawyer up and sober up so you don't get hit with the DUI and homicide on top of it, or death by vehicle or auto. I mean, the victims are every age, every shape, form, race. Color, religion. There's no, there's no similarity between that. It can happen to anybody at any time, anywhere, really. And you could just be walking down the street, and boom, you get, you
0: get hit. So, what's the penalty for something like that? So, the
3: penalty for the felony of the third degree, which is serious bodily injury, leaving the scene of a crash, it's a. Minimum term of imprisonment of not less than 90 days and a mandatory minimum of fine of $1,000. And if the victim dies, then it is a minimum term of imprisonment not less than three years and a mandatory minimum fine of $2,500. And that's if you're convicted of this. I mean, what happens a lot in the the justice system is that some of these cases are pleaded and there are lesser charges applied and they don't get those sentences.
0: So, I mean, 90 days
2: to three years. 90 d- days to d- three depending years, depending
3: on, d- on the severity of the injury or death.
2: Yes. Yeah. The, the best way to kill someone is to hit them with a car because you will get away with it. And if you are even convicted, you will probably serve much less time than if you killed them with a gun or in some other way. It's it's amazing. Currently in Pennsylvania, if you injure or kill a person and are found to have have done it through reckless driving or careless driving, which have two different definitions. The fines are literally $200 or $500. Jeez. I mean, I don't even know why bother. <laughs> Thankfully, uh, there is a bill uh, uh, in the House of Representatives that would increase those fines considerably and increase the likelihood of uh, um, uh, the, the length of time that a license would be suspended. Right. If yeah. I could just
3: clarify that, that that's motor vehicle code fines. That, that has nothing to do with the criminal aspect.
0: Yeah. And so that would be a doubling. You could get you could get motor vehicle fines yeah, in addition is, to
3: the criminal code. Right. And what happens a lot is uh, because of double jeopardy concerns is that if someone is convicted for homicide by vehicle, for example, and it involves leaving a scene and also uh, reckless driving – then the Motor Vehicle Code violations are waived because the, the criminal crime, code, the criminal yeah. code uh, and the homicide by vehicles a higher charge.
0: Yeah, and how confident? I mean, Brian, you you dealt with this, lived through this.
1: What higher penalties you think work? Um, Yes and no. I'll, I'll start with the no. The, the, the drivers I've spoken to, and I'm not talking about hundreds, like maybe a dozen, when they talked about why they fled, it wasn't like, oh, Geez, I can get 8 to 10 years in prison. No, it's the flight or flight, or fight or flight. Running counter to that, higher penalties could help, but it would take a while. It's not going to be an immediate thing. It's, it would almost have to mirror what Mothers Against Drunk Driving did. Drunk driving, I mean, early, like mid-70s, late-70s. Everyone's driving around, like, no seatbelt, a couple beers, whatever. Mm-hmm. But gradually over the course of years, it's become so stigmatized that now people – recognize it, and this, mad, it's not necessarily meaning anger anymore. You might think Mothers Against Drunk Driving. If there was a widespread effort along those lines where it becomes stigmatized collectively, nationally, like through an organization pushing it and politicians getting yeah. behind it and everybody, where it's, I think that could have an impact.
0: There yeah. needs to be
2: some type of a movement. Right, and um, uh, that's manifested itself by the creation of groups um, of, the families of victims, and started in New York City with Families for Safe Streets, and now there are chapters all over the country, and we, we have helped incubate and start a new chapter here in Philadelphia. And those families have very powerful voices and are incredible champions for change. And so they are working both on the side of addressing the inadequacies of the current law and and how enforcement is uh, it needs to be improved, but then also, you know, uh, calling for better design of streets and of cars themselves of the vehicles, um, such as putting side guards on trucks so that they don't crush people when they hit them, um, to it, just raising the issue. This is all under the rubric of. A philosophy called – or a policy called Vision Zero, which is to drive down traffic deaths to nothing. Um, uh, Other countries have made great strides towards this, and that's because it's been prioritized. We don't have to accept here in the United States that 30,000 people a a year should die in traffic crashes. We don't have to accept that 100 people in Philadelphia die a year. And thankfully, Mayor Kenney has adopted a Vision Zero policy – he wants to get to zero by 2030 and a lot more resources just in the last three or four years. And the the families of victims play a huge role in calling for that, you know, uh, you know, standing that that taking yeah. that moral high ground and that, you know, don't we should not tolerate this. What are
0: what are some of the advice? Number one, to drivers, you know, what should they do? And then also. Victims, possibly, and even witnesses. How do we sort of, like, make the best of a bad situation?
3: Okay, well, first I'd like to speak directly to the drivers. Is when, when this happens, take a few seconds to think about what you're about to do. You have a person either in another vehicle who's severely injured or a pedestrian or anything like that. Your first priority should be to get help to that scene. It should not be to flee. Some people have told us that they felt unsafe staying at the scene because people start to gather around and they may be the target of violence. If that happens and you do feel that way, then get yourself to a safe place and then call 911. Yeah. All right. But you have to call 911. You have to tell us what happened. Even if there are criminal charges, your first responsibility as a human being is to get that person helped and take responsibility for what happened. Yeah, uh, it's not the end of the world, and I think some people believe that you know this is the end of my world. Well, it's the end of the world of the person that you hit too. <laughs> As we wrap this up, could you
0: just you know quick advice to um, witnesses and and
2: victims here? To witnesses, report it. Um, everything, every observation makes a difference. So yes, call nine one one, make that report. And to victims, I would say. Please come and get organized. Find other victims' families. Join our organization, Families for Safe Streets, Greater Philadelphia, um, and put your grief to action.
0: Yeah, and final word to you, uh, Brian. I mean, someone went through this, your your word to someone before they, they hit the gas and get out of there.
1: Don't do it. I mean, you're, you're leaving someone for dead in the street. You're, your life is not more valuable than theirs, and in taking off and leaving someone for dead, you, you're— Worse than a coward. Call 911 because if they die in the street and you get caught, you're going to get a lot more time, but be a better person than what you're about to do.
0: Yeah. And so, with that, I want to say thank you to Mark Overwise. Thank you to Brian Hickey. And thank you to Sarah Clark Stewart for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news.
1: Thanks. Yeah, thank
4: thank you. you.
0: Next up, he's using Instagram to raise the shade on addiction. Here, it's a norm. That man behind shocking videos that are sparking change. We'll be right back flashpoint is sponsored by the gift of life donor program organ donors save lives register today at donors1.org This is Flashpoint, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. And one thing that gets Philadelphia residents hot under the collar is the opioid epidemic. In recent weeks, a Kensington man has made headlines for posting graphic videos that show what using drugs and getting high really looks like in his neighborhood. He posts them on Instagram under the name Kensington Beach. And the posts have received praise, but also major criticism. So we went to Kensington and Somerset to talk to the man behind the account. He asked us not to use his real name on air. Kensington Beach, welcome to Flashpoint. Thanks for having me, Flashpoint. You've been blowing up lately.
4: Yes, the page has definitely caught a lot of attention. Some good, some bad. I'm in it for the good. So that's my main goal is to let everyone know that this page is for positive, as much negative as it does show. I actually know the feeling of that, but Mm -hmm. I actually was posted online myself high one time and it came back to haunt me, but it helped me start to get my life together. Yeah. So I stopped doing the things I was doing and now I'm on a positive, you know, yeah. lifestyle, doing all good things.
0: The seed uh, was planted because you used to post on yes. your regular account yes. images of what?
4: Um the same exact images that you see on uh Instagram now. Um I go far back as my space of uh, posting similar If not, maybe even more content. People in a state of 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 being high. Yes, correct. I was used to seeing all these things walking past. I always made sure, I would ask if they are are okay. If they look unconscious, pale, I would just make sure they're okay because I have found dead bodies walking my dog. It's sad, you know, it's a lifeless person there. They have a family, you know, so I'm looking at somebody who just lost their life and I can tell that they weren't even living in the streets. What happens is a lot is when they get high they'll go do their thing but they go alone and they hide somewhere in the neighborhood say in an abandoned building or somewhere in the bushes somewhere and they'll be by themselves so when they overdose there's no one there to help them you know even to find them so i sometimes i find them when i'm walking my dog in these fields it's it's very sad you know yeah. it's sad but you know i i do not post you know pictures of that when i see them When they're dead, I try not to post things of that nature when I personally know, you know.
0: You do post pictures of people in the middle of being high and people actually injecting drugs. And this has caused situations where people saw themselves and it forced them to get help.
4: Yes, it 100% did. I have people who actually DM'd me recently telling me, to continue the page because of that
0: you've actually been able to reunite families because a yes. lot of times people don't understand they come to Kensington they, they start see. using these drugs they lose touch with their family and family's been looking for them for months yes
4: I have multiple DMS um I'm thinking about starting a website to where I can make it to be where I could have people send me they're missing their loved ones missing loved ones of that nature because I'm having so many DM's that I can't keep up with it because I'm out here helping but I don't know how to help more you know I can only do what I do and you know a lot of people out here need help and I'm just a small part of yeah. it. What, what I'm doing is helping
0: you got a lot of backlash because you were on the yes. cover. you know you made it to the cover yes. of the Daily News talking about Kensington Beach and the reality check the shocking reality check that the things you post give for the people what have you um, received in response
4: I mean I get a lot of negative backlash from family members of course you know if they see their family member on there it upsets them you know and it would upset me as well you know like I said I've been through it so I I know what it feels like family members or people who maybe were in recovery and, you know, they might send me a message saying, you know, that's a little graphic for me. You know, I'm not going to be able to follow your page, you know, and I respond to them. I tell them I appreciate their opinion. I'm sorry. That wasn't my intentions. You know, my attention is attention brings awareness and I'm bringing the attention, which will bring the awareness. And obviously it's working because. Yeah, and you did a poll recently. Yes, I did the poll because of the backlash, because I was starting to get a lot of comments. There were starting to be some negative comments. When I would read them, it would stick to me. So I would think about it Am I really doing something good here? You know, am I really helping people or am I more hurting people than helping? But when I receive messages from 13 year old kids telling me because of my page, you know, I'm never going to use again, people telling me that they've been clean for a certain amount of days and for watching my page, it lets them know that what they don't want to become. Yeah. So there's a lot of positive out of it, especially now. I even thought about blurring out the faces, but But that'll take away from the missing people who see their family members in my footage. It could be days, months or even years that they haven't found this family member and they see them in, in on my page. I've just recently was sent one. And they screenshotted it and they circled her and they asked me if I seen her again, could I please speak to her, get in contact with them? Because some people just want to know that they're alive. You know, so things, them positive things come. Yeah, yeah. And and they're the things that keeps me pushing to do it. And so
0: when you think about people have heard about the opioid epidemic, they've heard about people using heroin. But I don't really think I actually have seen what it does to a physical body. People don't know that. To
4: the physical body, for example, say someone who comes home from jail, big guys, women healthy and what happens within approximately two to three weeks you can't even recognize that person again it's that bad to where if you took a picture of them the day that they came back out here and then took a picture of them two to three weeks later it's that bad you know it's
0: and you see people doing jerk jerking around don't know where they are laying on the ground you actually revive people and carry narcan yes yes, around with you how many people do you think you revive? um
4: you know to me it was always about one and i'm Past, I'm very much past one. I'm, you know, I'm probably working on close to a hundred people. I would say, you know, there's some that I did revive myself because I have done the Narcan myself. But when I carry the Narcan, a lot of times I have my dog with me. So i what I will do is I'll get a fellow citizen, someone who's willing to help me help another person, and they will help them, you know, shoot the Narcan in them and, and you know rub up, their yeah. chest or we'll rub their chest together, and you know we. We pray that they come back, you know, because sometimes they don't.
0: Part of it is this is your neighborhood. You live in Kensington, in the heart of Kensington. And literally you walk outside and you see this.
4: Every day, multiple times a day. I never go out my way. I do not pull over in a car, get out, record people. Even if I'm in a car, I won't record people Me, I record myself personally when I'm only walking my dog or going to the store. I don't go out my way to try to make no one's life harder. I'm just recording trying to help bring the attention, which will bring the awareness, which is what's going on right now as I speak to you. So obviously what I did, I didn't know it was going to become so big, but it's definitely catching the momentum and it's getting the attention. And that was my goal. If your intention were to become
0: reality, what would what would happen here?
4: I would love to help more I'm one person you know like if I could have I have people who help me you know like a team of friends but it's just that you know I need more help I just don't know what to do about because it's so such so much on a big scale I personally can't help every single person you know
0: but if your intention became reality and the it brought awareness and it brought change even what would that look like
4: Oh, that would be amazing for the neighborhood of Kensington. I mean, it's been multiple, multiple years of the same thing here. I mean, this is what all residents, majority, grew up on around here. I mean, at one time it was a thriving, you know, community with factories, but it's been a long time since factories were up and running. So things have changed for many years now. For me, it's just not all about, you know, the people who have an addiction or, you know, they're just, they're sickness. It's not just about them to me because there's kids that live in a community that are important to me. You don't get to choose who your parents are going to be. So you're born into something. You're born into a neighborhood. You're born into an environment. So when you're born into that, you grow up thinking things are okay and they're normal. And you don't realize that these things aren't normal in life. So personally, what I do is I have kids down the street here who live from me. Once a month, I'll give them each $20 just so they can get on a train and go downtown and just get a different a scenery, you know. Get away from seeing all the people shooting dope, all the needles on your steps. To realize that there's more than just Kensington, you know. So
0: for you, change would be allowing the kids can come outside and play, I mean, and the families can have normal, healthy, productive, 100%, 100%, safe, 100 percent, 100 percent, 100
4: percent safe. It's hard, you know. It's a community with people who pay their taxes, and you know. They do everything, you know, all the all law-abiding citizens do, and it's almost like they're forgotten about because I call it the forgotten section of Philly because when you yeah. walk out these doors and look around, I mean, it's unbelievable. In my opinion, they wouldn't allow this in a lot of neighborhoods.
0: But your post, Kensington Beach, that IG page is making sure people don't forget. Yes, and with the content that be
4: shown, like I said, it's very graphic. You know, I do not mean no negativity with this page. You know, I'm sorry to the people that feel you know that it's too graphic and people shouldn't be seeing this and t- what do you
0: say to those folk
4: um I unfollow mean, I mean it, it, to, it is really that simple to unfollow but I mean at the, I, you know I understand you know I can understand where they're coming from I told you I've been through it my yeah. picture was out there and I had to go to court and it was used in court so I know the feeling so when people do call me I remove multiple uh posts of people who have reached out to me Recently, there's a girl that I had recorded myself, not a video someone sent to me, but her shoes were, you know, in the middle of the street. Her bag was on the sidewalk. I got them things. I put them next to her. I woke her up. I told her, listen, you know, it's not safe right here. Your Things are going to get stolen. You need to tighten up and, you know, try to get your stuff together and get up. Well, when she left there, she went home, and someone told her that she made Kensington Beach Page. She messaged me, I would say, maybe about approximately a week ago, and she's in recovery. She thanked me. And she didn't even ask me to take down the post. Yeah. But I took it down myself. And I'll keep it because if she wants it for, you know, something to look back at, then I will give it to her personally. But she was very respectful. She was very humble. She did not um, come in my messenger like, yeah. you know, this is, you better, you know, basically trying to bully me like, you know, some, some people do, do yeah. you know. And I have to learn to be, yeah. because I'm in this to be positive. So I have to be a better person sometimes, too. And I have to be the one to just take it down. But you're just,
0: you're a regular guy just trying to make. I am. I'm, 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 I'm,
4: you know, I'm not a journalist. I'm not a politician. I'm just a guy who is born and raised in the heart of Philadelphia. As we would say, it's, we're in the mud here. You know, I'm yeah. in the mud.
0: Kensington Beach on IG. People will check you out. Maybe you'll find your loved one. You know, maybe you'll see yourself and want to change.
4: The page, as of right now, the people who are, as we speak, dming me of pictures of loved ones you know that they've seen on my page and asking me if I see them again could I relay a message and what I'll ask them is you know is their phone number that would you like me to even have them call you yeah because yeah. there is times where I find these individuals and they won't want to call home so yeah. i speak to them for five ten minutes and you know I'll talk them up and positive about how yeah your loved ones would feel so good it'll make and then once they get on the phone everybody's in tears you know it's like and then, to me, you know, the tears aren't joy for me, but it's tears of joy through them. You know, it's, it's sorrow. It's it's like, you know, they're sad, yeah. but at the same time, they're happy to, you know, reunite, reunite again. So it's like... When I see them things, I know that I'm doing good, you know. It's just sad because I get these other posts from people who are yeah. sent to me that are laughing in the background. And But the thing to me is, is this is what it is. This is what these kids see every day, and they're recording it and sending it to me. So if they're outside playing and they see somebody in public out there like that, they're recording it and sending it to me. And I'm starting to notice I'm getting more footage of people not just recording and laughing. They're checking on them. I got two today. You can see my page is starting. The ones who are understanding my page are starting to do what I'm doing. I'm influencing people to check on these people, to see if just they're alive. I mean, it's that simple. If you see someone on the ground, incoherent, not moving, kind of changing color, who knows how many people walk past them. So So you might even be
0: saving lives. Yes.
4: I mean, there was a lady that was on Kensington Avenue. Mm -hmm. The um, EMT lady told me she was sitting there for months literally months and people walked past her and no one even noticed because here it's a norm now most people who look at it that aren't from kensington it is a total shocker it looks like a third world country the things yeah. that i'm showing yeah. but the reality of it is is that
0: is what's going on and people would need to know so kensington beach yes thank you for coming on flashpoint thank you very much flashpoint for having me i appreciate you coming
4: out into the mud kensington <laughs>
0: Next up, he's helping kids trade firearms for water arms.
5: It's a gun that was created with a different purpose.
0: The West Philly man using super soakers to heal trauma. We'll be right back. Hey, guys, listen up. When you're done with the show, would you do me a favor? Please provide a review and rate this podcast. And feel free to provide feedback often. We need reviews to push us to the top. Now back to the show. Thanks, all. This is Flashpoint. and I'm Cherry Gregg. Be sure to check out the Flashpoint podcast by downloading the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts app, or other platforms. All you got to do is search Flashpoint KYW, and we here at KYW, we are all about community. And one man from West Philly focuses on giving kids positive forms of play. Now, he's given out free super soaker water guns to kids around the city, the country, and even in the Middle East. Soon, his efforts will once again help his home city Here to tell us more, please introduce yourself.
5: My name is Gabriel Nyantachi, lifelong Philadelphia resident.
0: Thank you so much for coming in. So tell me about what is water arms over firearms?
5: It's a name that I developed because it expressed the poetry that I wanted to convey that, you know, a firearm and fire is destructive, but a super soaker is a water arm. It's a gun that was created with a different purpose, a different intention. To to cool things off when it's hot in the summertime, so it kind of sums up that philosophy.
0: Yeah, and, and so you this this philosophy is something that you've played out in reality, in that you have given children, kids, people all over the world at this point, free water guns.
5: Why? I want to change narratives, you know, and and I've gone to places where the prevailing narratives are about random acts of violence and terrorism where there's done by a state and people live under the constant threat. And I want to take back some of that language because like a gun could be anything. You know, there's a hot glue guns, there's grease guns, there's a radar gun, you know, staple guns, there's staple guns, there's anything. And it doesn't necessarily have to be negative and allow people to expand their, their, their thinking of, all right, let's say there was a gun and if you aimed and, and fired, or watered, <laughs> in this case, that it made them smile and made them you know, appreciate the fact that they literally feel cooler if it's hot or it could change their mood for the better. We could take something that is literally the most destructive thing that's been introduced to mankind and have that be a way to shape uh, imaginations and shape the way people can conceive yeah. and imagine like a different future.
0: Because basically you took all these water guns and did what with them?
5: I started to give them away. <laughs> I started to give them out. Uh, over the years, I began to stockpile. I was always going to flea markets, yard sales, thrift shops, and I began to collect that way, old school. Sometimes I I would catch deals on Amazon and buy in bulk, and it was just something that I, I did as a just a, a gesture of, of kindness, you know. And the super soaker, I got have to shout out Dr. Lonnie Johnson, who was an African American inventor. and The meaning behind that—that that this is the the man that developed this technology, a black technology. And this is an Afro-futurist technology that happened by accident. He was working on a heat pump. Water shot across his bathroom. He said, wow, that was fun. And so it was science. It was fun. It was his innocence, his sense of play. And he was able to take that and he flipped that into a couple hundred million dollars. Yeah. How many kids do you think you've connected with doing this? I would almost have to... Go buy like the number of Super Soakers distributed at this point. Cause I do, that's, that's something I can quantify. I'd say a thousand so far. they like to du- du- make direct contact with. I don't always give them out. Sometimes I just like, yo. You can use them for now. Some and... of the Super Soakers are pretty special to me. <laughs> you know, you can't buy them anymore of like the different models. So you just love Super Soakers. No, I, I, I'm really passionate. I'm really, I'm really into it.
0: And you took that passion and turned it into something that is healing in a way.
5: Yeah. And in a lot of ways, it, it, it heals personal trauma. Yeah, you know, I don't want to go deep into it, but a lot of it, a lot of the inspiration did come from a place of trauma.
0: Yeah, because you go into neighborhoods where a lot of kids may have experienced, seen, or know someone who may have been impacted by gun violence. Mm-hmm. In a way, it's like you're trying to use the water arms and so mm-hmm. to heal.
5: Yeah, precisely, and. For desert people, the relationship to water, you have to imagine, is even Mm -hmm. that much more powerful. And especially Muslim populations where the water is used five times a day to purify, to cleanse. The first super-soaker I took took to Iraq. But before I did, I had to play. I had a couple couple water gun fights just for my my own personal enjoyment. And a young man I was playing with, he was like, yo, is this water from America? (laughs) He takes the water— and he, like, shoots he shoots into his mouth. And he's like, yo, this is water from America. I can't believe it. And that it's a precious thing. Yeah. yeah. It, it definitely, like, connected. So I, part of this exercise is just, like, open people's minds and imaginations. Because I'm confronted with people that are like, oh, well, you can't give a kid a gun to play with. And I'm just like, guns have just permeated every part of our culture. To not recognize that is to be naive that, you know, this land, yeah. we wouldn't have acquired this land. You know, Manifest Destiny was, like, driven by, like, each and each advancement in firearm technology. But also, I'm trying to develop a STEM program based on the technology. Like, right now, I have a shipment of around 300 super soakers and some fully functioning, some in, like, various degrees of disrepair. But they can be repaired. So, Thai New Year, every year, is the Guinness Book World's Largest Water Gun Fight Water guns are so plentiful, after the festivities, they get thrown on the trash. So I went, collected as many super soakers as I could, I could carry. They're currently being shipped to Ghana right now. And I intend to establish a series of workshops for kids. Like, with the intention of anything that can be applied to the super soaker, you're talking about a system of valves, tubing, you understand pressure. It could be applied to a plumbing system. So use that technology which is I'm proud to say a black technology spurring like a, a another generation of people with yeah. skills. Yeah.
0: You know, where can people get in touch with you to support your effort to use water guns to heal?
5: I'm currently working on a website. Look out for that soon at waterarms.com with the an s and I'm on Instagram at waterarms over firearms, I have a Facebook page and that's, that's the best way to contact me right now. You can find more information about where I'll be having events and you'll know, get to get the evidence of, of what I've been doing.
0: Wonderful. Well, I want to say, Gabriel Nyantichi. thank you so much for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news.
5: Oh, okay, thank you for having me.
0: That's it for the Flashpoint podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As an international author once wrote, integrity is doing the right thing when no one is watching. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.